Hi there, this is Austin Hetzler, the pastor of Christ the Rock Church of Elyria, Ohio. We at Christ the Rock are humbled and grateful to be a part of your sanctification today as you listen to this sermon. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to be a member of a good local church and not to allow online sermons to replace the local church and to benefit from the life of that church and to give your spiritual gifts back to that church. Having said that, our website is www.christrockchurch.com. If you go there, you can find sermons, blogs, and other resources as well as our location and service times. You can also listen to the sermons on Bible Thumping Wingnut, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. I, along with the membership of Christ the Rock Church, pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you. Hey, good morning. Let's uh, say a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Borgman's book. We look forward to what your Holy Spirit will teach us through it. We ask that you help us to look more like you, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And we thank you for this learning. In Jesus' name, amen. Feelings and Faith by Brian Borgman is a book that was key in my life about 12 years ago. Now, it would not be a stretch to say that had I not been given this book by my pastor at that time, I probably would not have been able to divorce ungodly emotions from a situation in which I was romantically involved with two women and would have not been able to make the appropriate decision to marry Kay. Not marry Kay, but marry my wife Kay. <laughs> and there's also a connection between this church and Brian Borgman. I was doing some uh, background on Brian uh, some time ago, and I came across a 10-minute video called their response to Rick Warren, and I said, I got to see this. Looking at it, uh, Rick or uh, Brian was responding to an article that Rick Warren had published in the Christian Post some time ago concerning the justification ecclesiologically for shutting down churches in compliance to the COVID-19 lockdowns. Well, Borgman took exception to that and wanted to launch into a response. And since it reminded me of the rebuke that our pastor recorded for John MacArthur when MacArthur had initially locked down his church as well, I thought that Pastor Austin would be interested in seeing this video, so I texted him the link. And later in the day, and he didn't know that Borgman, or at least he didn't uh, remember that Borgman was the author of the book we're starting today. But Pastor Austin said, I know this guy. When the Hetzlers were in Colorado a year and a half ago, partaking in that revival conference, Brian Borgman was one of the speakers as well. So Pastor Borgman and Pastor Hetzler had a chance to meet in fellowship. Let's begin with a quote from Jonathan Edwards. The nature of true religion consists in holy affections. And you're going to hear the word affections 
The old-time Christian writers used the word affections, which can also mean emotions or feelings. If I were to thumbnail this book, the material here, in two broad strokes, I'd say the first stroke is that the concept, the theology of total depravity also extends to our emotions. Our mind, body, and soul, emotions, our spirit are all affected by total depravity, the sin of Adam and Eve. And uh, the other thumbnail, the other broad stroke, is that the emotions are not trustworthy, so you shouldn't act on them. Uh, they, emotions, reflect the morals and the right thinking or wrong thinking. So emotions are resultant. They should not, in most cases, be causal. And emotions do reflect your morals and your thinking on matters. So, the beginning of the introduction chapter, and we're going to do introduction and appendix one today. And I thought the introduction would be good, a good foundation. And the introduction begins with five scenes illustrating the expression and utility of emotions. So let's go through those five scenes. Scene number one. She was angry. She was hurt. She was trying unsuccessfully not to cry, gripping the tissue in her hand like a child security blanket. She said, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't know how it feels. The thought of his being with that woman grips my mind like an iron claw, and it will not let go. I pray. I cry. I pray again. I do not want to think about it, but I can't help it. The thoughts create a hurricane of emotions. By the time he gets home from work, I hate him all over again. I don't want him near me. I want him to die. I can't stand the way I feel. Scenario 2. With a trembling voice that seemed out of place in his massive rugged frame, he said, I would wake up and know that God was just waiting to kick sand in my face. If it was a really bad day, I figured God said, forget the sand, I'll just kick your face. The dark cloud of thinking that God loved other people but certainly did not love me sank me into a deep depression. If something good happened to me, I chalked it up to God playing with me so he could pull the rug out from under me. I believe God hated me and my feelings would not let me believe anything else. Number three. The pastor said with serious concern, Scott, I notice you never sing during worship. May I ask why? With a pseudo-philosophical tone, Scott replied, You know, I walk into church and I see all these people lifting their hands, singing the songs, tears running down their face. Frankly, I am not into all that emotionalism. When I come to church, I don't think I need to sing, and I certainly don't need to get all touchy-feely with God. After all, you can't trust the emotions, and I am perfectly fine with worshiping God in my own way without all those gushy feelings. Number four, the defiance was frightening. I know what you are thinking. I know what you are going to say. But I can tell you right now that nobody has ever loved me like he has. Nobody has ever cared for me and listened to me like he does. 
The pastor gently yet firmly replied, But he is not in the Lord. You know what the word says about being unequally yoked? The rebuttal was undaunted. I love him, and we are getting married. What do you expect me to do? I'm in love. I can't help the way I feel. Number five. Pastor, there is a joy I never knew before. To believe that God really cares about the way I feel and that he has changed the way I feel is amazing to me. I finally get it. God has opened my heart to be compassionate. I care about people. When I sing his praise, I feel a passion for his glory. There is a joy that comes even when the word cuts deep. For so many years, I felt emotionally dead to the things of God, but he has breathed something into me. My heart caught up with my head. I finally believe that God has all of me. So what do these five scenes have in common? Well, they show that the emotions play a critical role in each person's thinking and behavior. Matthew Elliott says, quote, We describe our experiences in ourselves by describing how we feel. Life without emotions would be in black and white. And Martin Lloyd-Jones observed, quote, Indeed, I suppose that one of the greatest problems in our life in this world, not only for Christians but for all people, is the right handling of our feelings and emotions. Oh, the havoc that is wrought and the tragedy, the misery and the wretchedness that are to be found in the world simply because people do not know how to handle their own feelings. Why is the spiritual growth of so many of God's people stunted, or so it seems? I believe that one of the reasons is that we do not have a biblical understanding of our emotions. Therefore, there is little or no biblical handling of our emotions. And we have a twofold obligation to understanding our emotions. First, the emotions are a biblical subject. The Bible has much to say about the emotions, and it is imperative for us to understand what it teaches. And second, the emotions are a deeply personal subject, playing a prominent role in each of our lives. Therefore, it is vital to understand what the Bible has to say for our own personal maturity. Now, a biblical theology is foundational to understanding our emotions toward spiritual growth. If we are going to successfully cultivate our emotions, we must have a handle on what the Bible says about them. To think unbiblically about the emotions is to be held captive by wrong thinking, or stinking thinking, as Kay would like to say. To have a biblical foundation for understanding the emotions is to think rightly about them. So, what are some common misconceptions about emotions? Well, to start with, our secular culture is preoccupied with emotional wholeness. You know, the number of self-help books and seminars, CDs, DVDs, institutes, and gurus of inner peace and emotional wholeness is overwhelming. And here's the poll quote for today, at least this chapter. Apart from Christian theology, there is no sound understanding of the emotions. Once again, apart from Christian theology... There is no sound understanding of the emotions. Not saying you have to be a Christian, but apart from the Bible and sound theology, which we'll be getting into in part one of this book, 
There is no sound understanding of your emotions. Because many Christians are influenced by our psychologized culture and godless views of the emotions. And I'll be honest with you. I have presented this material in part or whole to small groups and other groups and churches. This is the third time I've done this. What has motivated me this time was the cultural march toward affirming someone's gender identity, transgenderism. I haven't been able to read or see any information from organizations that promote gender-affirming care, quote-unquote, without the use of specifically the words feelings. I'll give you a case in point. Whether it was websites of institutions or health care providers encouraging people to explore transgender options in their lives, generally the pitch is made something along these lines, whether in word and print. And that is, if you don't feel that your body conforms to the gender identity you should have, pretty much those words. If your body does not conform to the gender that you feel you were misassigned at birth, then come and mutilate yourself. Alter God's design for your body and your life. And that's why when I say, apart from Christian theology, there is no sound understanding of the emotions. And that, more specifically, is what Borgman said. Some Christians teach that emotions are bad and need to be suppressed. So we got the three different views here. You got the Stoic view that argued that passions or emotions could not coexist with moral virtue, and that emotions are contrary to reason and all rational principles. And a common Christian ver version of this says that the mind is all that is important. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got the misconception that emotions are so powerful that they govern and control us. You often hear, I can't help the way I feel. And we heard that in one of the scenes earlier. This quote-unquote sovereignty of the emotions is used to justify hatred, divorce, infidelity, and all kinds of sinful conduct. And this view turns many Christians into experience junkies who just want to have an emotional high. And in the middle, there are those that stop short of the Stoics they teach that the emotions, though, are irrelevant and unnecessary. And what matters is not feeling, but believing and doing. And that the emotions are optional and untrustworthy. Well, they are untrustworthy in our natural state. So let's move on to what is a working definition of the emotions. So the Bible gives us numerous words that describe both the source and the expression of the emotions. The Bible often commands our feelings, and in the Bible, emotions are not amoral. We are responsible for how we feel. There are two historical views on the emotions. One is called the non-cognitive view. 
pretty much just feel, don't think. The non-cognitive view sees the emotions as unrelated to the mind or to thinking, and that we are subject to our emotions and are not ultimately responsible for them. They just happen. They are something that just happens to us. Uh, there is a movie from the 90s, I guess, uh, White Men Can't Jump. I wouldn't recommend it to most audiences other than the fact that it does portray a particular non-cognitive view of the emotions in that there's a character played by Woody Harrelson and his name is Billy Hoyle and Billy Hoyle has a problem holding on to his money and not gambling it. See, he and his partner, played by Wesley Snipes, make a pretty significant, formidable duo on the pickup basketball courts in Southern California and they often roll up and challenge other pairs to two-on-two tournaments and then when the money is bet, Billy Hoyle and his partner take the money. Now Billy Hoyle and his girlfriend are trying to save up, save up their money and they sometimes don't even have two pennies to rub together and every time he goes out and he wins, usually brings home the money to a happy girlfriend. And in one case, though, sometimes he lets his pride and his gambling addiction get the best of him. And so they won this big tournament, and on the way home to his apartment, he got goaded into making a bet that he couldn't cover. And when he got back to the apartment, he had to let his girlfriend know that he lost the money. She said, what happened to the money? He said, I lost it. She said, all of it? He said, all of it. And then he puts his head down and says, It happened again. It happened again. Uh, she was getting angry and she said, Oh no, Billy, it didn't happen again. You happened again. And that's the non-cognitive view. I can't help it. The cognitive view indicate that the emotions are directly related to the mind or thinking. Emotions are based on beliefs, standards, judgments, evaluations, concerns, and thoughts. The emotions are indicators of what we value and what we believe. Emotions, according to the cognitive view, have an object. They are resultant. The emotions are an inherent part of what it means to be a person. They express the values and evaluations of a person and influence motives and conduct. So often, even when I got saved and started going to churches, I noticed that there was an overall concept or a feeling, I guess, if you wanted to use that word. But a lot of belief that God is not really an emotional guy. God is impassive. He's not affected by emotions. And that's true. He's not affected by what's outside of him. But the inherent stoicism of God and his character has wended its way through centuries of theological writing. And I always wonder, where did it come from? But Borgman does too. And in his Appendix 1, he talks about it concept known as divine, divine impassibility. Is God really without passions? 
How were the early Christian apologists to make the proper distinction between the gods of the age and the one true God? It puts you in a situation where the early Christian apologists and theologians were in a culture where the gods of the age, Roman, Greek, mythological gods, were petty, hot-tempered, lustful, moody, mischievous. And by reading the Bible and studying systematic theology, they knew the God of the Bible would be, well, he's majestic, infinite, glorious, transcendent. Those are also fairly emotion-evoking descriptions of God, but they didn't want our God to be confused with their gods. God, Our God isn't irresponsible emotionally. So to set a contrast, these apologists asserted that God was impassable. He cannot experience variations in his emotional states. Because divine impassibility was designed by these folks to protect the immutability, the eternality, and the moral character of God. As if God needed their protection, right? <laughs> so the theological deduction of impassibility also made its way into the Reformed Confessions. In fact, in the Westminster Westminster Confession of Faith, God is said to be, quote, without body, parts, or passions. But what do we do with hundreds of texts that deal with God's emotions? Well, we must keep in mind that God's emotional capacities are both invulnerable and perfect. He can take care of himself, right? His emotions are not dependent on anything outside of himself. His feelings are not subject to sinfulness since he is holy. His emotions are also in perfect harmony with all his other attributes. There's no shadow of turning with the Lord, but he is certainly capable of some rich emotional expressions. And we are going to see all of that in the next few weeks. And here's something you can take, and you can rejoice in this statement that Borgman writes. In fact, our view of God becomes all the more glorious when we see his perfect emotions. And then we realize that we are made in his image. All right, and stay, stay abreast of our coming chapters. Our next message will be chapters 1 and 2 combined. Hi there, this is Austin Hetzler, the pastor of Christ the Rock Church of Elyria, Ohio. We at Christ the Rock are humbled and grateful to be a part of your sanctification today as you listen to this sermon. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to be a member of a good local church and not to allow online sermons to replace the local church and to benefit from the life of that church and to give your spiritual gifts back to that church. Having said that, our website is www.christrockchurch.com. 
If you go there, you can find sermons, blogs, and other resources as well as our location and service times. You can also listen to the sermons on Bible Thumping Wingnut, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. I, along with the membership of Christ the Rock Church, pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you.